Well, this morning we have Pete Gregg speaking to us. Most of us will know Pete. If you are visiting and you don't know who Pete is, Pete is the uh, leader of Emmaus Road Church. He is the founding champion of 24-7 Prayer. He also writes books, one of which is just over there called um, uh, Red Moon Rising, which is the story of 24-7 Prayer. If you are new and haven't read it, we would love to give you a copy of that, so do let us know. There's one copy which the first person can grab. Uh, after that, let us know, and we will make sure we get you one. Um, and, uh, and he is going to speak to us this morning as we continue our discipleship series. So let's welcome Pete. Thanks, Bill. Um, I'm going to be speaking with my friend Charlie Mackesy this morning. This is the fourth in our series uh, on uh, 10 Tough Talks. Uh, and we are looking at Jesus' call to discipleship. Uh, Adam Heather kicked us off uh, helping us to realize that Jesus doesn't care whether we're Christians. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Jesus does not care whether you're a Christian or not. In fact, he never used the word Christian. Uh, it doesn't appear until after uh, the Gospels, the book of Acts, we read that the, the, the disciples uh, got this nickname, Christian. It kind of, I think you can agree, stuck. But uh, um, if we read in the New Testament, uh, the word Christian is only used three times, but the word disciple is used 294 times. And so the call upon us is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're thinking about that. So, uh, uh, we're, by the way, we're incredibly relaxed about people coming and going, and uh, that's, that's fine. Um, so we're called to be disciples. Adam kicked us off the, kicked off the series thinking about that. Then John and Ellie Mumford talked about the call to receive uh, from Jesus. Uh, Bill last week did a master class on the call to pray and fast. Uh, it was brilliant. Listen to the recording. Uh, it's, the, it's the challenging stuff we're, we're, we're getting into here. I'm not going to ask who fasted in the week, because if so, you'll lose your jacuzzi in heaven, uh, if, you, if you tell us. But um, uh, it was brilliant. And today, I'm going to talk about the call to go and make disciples. So let's look at one of the most famous bits of the Bible together. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, uh, often known as the Great Commission right at the end of the gospel. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Love that. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus has gathered this group uh, around him. It was originally 12, but one of them has blown out, uh, has messed up, and has committed suicide. So even Jesus uh, didn't have a 100% track record in this disciple-making business, if you ever find it difficult. And so they are uh, strung out. The, the disciples are one level uh, traumatized. They've watched their master crucified. 
that, that, that one of their closest friends has committed suicide. They are broken-hearted. They're asking big questions, and yet they're also buzzing with uh, amazement because Jesus has come back to life, and he's in front of them. So I want you to get the sense of emotion and, and uh, how their heads are exploding. And Jesus says, now listen, I want you to do for nations what I have just done for you over the last three years. And um, he, he gives them all authority, which is uh, what we theologically call lots of authority. Uh, if you're ever intimidated by your boss or by your mom, <laughs> your mother-in-law, uh, whoever it is, uh, remember, if you know Jesus, he gives you all authority in heaven and on earth. So you may not feel it, but you have phenomenal authority. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you all authority. And I'm going to send you to go and disciple not just the odd individual, but nations. And then he notices their knees knocking under their robes. And he says, but don't freak out. My presence will go with you. I will, I will not leave you. I'll be with you even to the very end of the age. It's an incredible promise. The word for disciple in the Greek, because as you've probably picked up, the, the New Testament is mostly written in Greek originally. Um, the word is mathetes. And we don't have an exact translation. It means more than just a learner, you know, when you put an L plate on your car and you're learning to drive, or you're at school, you're trying to learn maths. It's, it's much stronger than that. It's a little bit more like being an apprentice, where you're trying to learn a trade, but it's even stronger than that. The rabbis would gather a, a school around them, as it were, of people who would not just learn a few theological truths, but would learn a whole paradigm and a whole way of life. And then they would become proponents of that rabbinic school. So Jesus was gathering these guys around them who didn't know they were in the Bible yet, you know? And they just thought, we're doing that thing where every now and then you get to follow a rabbi and to be his mathetes, his disciple. The closest equivalent we have in the modern world uh, of this notion of mathetes, of discipleship, is Star Wars. Uh, and I, I cannot think of a better example, but the Jedi kind of thing, you know, where people are recruited in, and it's this great honor, and they learn. They're not just learning a little bit of Jedi knowledge. They're learning how to fight. They're learning how to use the, uh, what do you call it? The lightsaber, thank you. Uh, <laughs> culture vulture that I am. Uh, they, they, they're learning a whole way of life. And if they really do well, eventually they become Jedi Knights and then Je Jedi Masters. And, and, and so uh, this is, Jesus is, is saying, look, come and, and, and be, <laughs> train to be a Jedi. And then I'm going <laughs> oh, to, this, this is going in the wrong direction. Uh, some of you are going to take me so literally and start wearing weird outfits on Thursday nights. So the Apostle Paul uh, understood this principle perfectly. And he says the most remarkable thing twice to the Corinthian church. He says it in chapter 4 and chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. He says this, he says, follow me as I follow Jesus. And you'd expect him to say, look, look what you need to do is follow Jesus, but he doesn't. He says, if, if you want to know how to follow Jesus, follow me. Now, that is terrifying, of course, because most of us think, don't follow me, I'm in a mess. But fortunately, Jesus has got his act together, so follow him. But he, he's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Listen, 
The only Bible that many of your friends will ever read is you. No matter how much you say, go read your Bible, they ain't going to do it. But they will watch how you behave. They'll watch what you do. And so discipleship begins long before someone might make a decision to call themselves a Christian and get baptized. And it actually continues long afterwards. It's a gentle process of discovery. It can be dramatic, but it's often very slow. Lots of incremental steps. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I love the story from uh, Audrey Mitchell, uh, who's often sitting about there. And uh, she, she was sitting in a, a boardroom in the city, a very high up, uh, a big company. And she said she felt like she was terrible at sharing her faith with others. And I found it very difficult. But the one thing she, she, she was very careful about was her language. She didn't sort of swear and blaspheme and all of that. And then one day, things got really kind of um, heated in a particular discussion in the boardroom. And Audrey Mitchell, who is like, I mean, Jesus looks at Audrey Mitchell and goes, she's so nice. Uh, do you know what I mean? Audrey swore, and none of us can quite imagine it, in the boardroom. And the whole kind of room froze. Uh, and, and she thought, I've blown it all these years. I'm so bad at telling people about Jesus, and now I've sworn. And the guy chairing the meeting said, sorry, we just need to pause. Something very serious has just happened. Audrey has sworn. We, we, we need to really review this. Now, I'm not advocating <laughs> swearing as an evangelistic technique, but it was interesting, wasn't it, that they had noticed her speech all those years when she thought they hadn't. It's often the little things, uh, often this process of, of discipling, follow me as I follow Christ, is very simple, it's very gentle, it's very slow, and that is what makes it deep and transformative and beautiful. And um, this strategy of Jesus, you know, come, come and be my disciples and go and make disciples of nations, may sound a little bit like um, ineffective, especially when you look at the pomp and power of, you know, Trump versus Clinton or, you know, President Putin's war games. But actually, the empire that was beginning with Jesus, the kingdom of God's rule and reign has outlasted them all. Take a look at this, this very moving video about the, how extraordinarily effectively the disciples left this encounter with Christ and began discipling nations. This is 2,000 years of the growth of the gospel. Admittedly, it was quite slow at the start.
extraordinary. They really did go out and disciple nations. They changed the world. And that is the commission on anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Not just to kind of bottle up the blessing and then sort of, you know, disappear into heaven, but to pass on the blessing, the good news of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and the hope and the love and reconciliation of his gospel in his world. And so for us as a church, we are called to be a mobile and missional uh, community, outward looking in everything we do. For those first disciples, we read that they began in Jerusalem, that was their home city, then they went to Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. And uh, some of us are, are, are just called to stay and to go, as it were, within our Jerusalem, within our workplace, within our family, within our street, within this city, this region. But others of us are called to go geographically, and we are radically committed to that as a church. Just in the last few weeks, we've sent Franny out to Datsaburg, which is one of the poorest and least evangelized postcodes in uh, Germany. Uh, we've sent Beth and Eden to South America. I must be clear here, uh, if you're new, sending might sound rather um, dictatorial. They wanted to go. Uh, <laughs> they, they asked to be sent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, we, we've also, we, we, you know, we love having Ladan as part of this community. Many of you will have heard Ladan's story of how she came to know Jesus in, uh, in Iran and was in prison for her faith in Jesus. And, uh, and uh, she's now based here a fair bit, but um, she's also pretty um, busy uh, pastoring a, a, um, a, a church uh, somewhere else in the Middle East. And um, uh, actually, I just got an email from her on, on Friday. And, uh, you know, over the last two weeks, uh, she's led 21 Iranian and Afghani people to Jesus uh, in her, uh, her two services that she's running. And uh, it's lovely to have David Yagnazal with us. Where are you, David? I saw you in here somewhere. David, right in front of me. David stood up uh, last week and talked about, let's see the slide, we've got uh, 214 uh, uh, people. Am I allowed to say this? We're being recorded. Am I? Uh, can I say where? Okay. So uh, I think we've got a picture coming up. 214 uh, people uh, getting baptized. These are Iranians giving their lives to Jesus Christ in Turkey just a couple of weeks ago. And David was, was there. You understand that, that this great grand sort of map of the gospel advancing breaks down to real individual lives being changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, now it may be that uh, well, uh, another one uh, in just the last few weeks, of course, is Dave and Liz Lynn, uh, who, uh, you know, founding sort of members of this, of, uh, of this community back when we were a handful of people in a pub. Uh, I'd say there were probably Sundays when Dave and Liz were the only people uh, there, uh, them and, and the Holy Spirit. There's three of, three of God, so that helps. But, uh, uh, and and D Dave and Liz, you know, Dave used to say, well, we're sort of here till we die. And then uh, back in April, both Bill and Liz had the same dream. Uh, this is Bill here, and uh, Liz was here in the first service. And, 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 and on separate nights, uh, they had this dream of a rescue boat being pulled on a trailer through crowded streets whilst people drowned. 
and they brought this to us, and we're just a bit thick. So if you'd had it once, you go, oh, it's a nice picture. You get it twice, you go, oh, okay, this might be God. And uh, we realized God is speaking to us uh, about not just building a nice little shiny boat that we can all admire, but that actually we need to mess the boat up. We need to get it into the water because there are people drowning. We need to rescue people. And so we put a number of uh, plans in place, and, and they're starting to work really well to, to reach people more effectively and to, and, and to care for people. That lovely initiative of, of buying uh, school uniforms, school shoes for kids on their way back to school who couldn't afford new stuff normally. It's a number of things that we've done. But God had more in mind, as you know, because we announced just a few weeks ago that the Spirit of God began to speak to Dave and Liz about going and, and heading up our work in Ibiza in the Mediterranean, uh, uh, the Spanish island there, uh, that, that the Daily Mail once called Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and really planting a community at the heart of all the other fantastic ministries and projects that we've got running there, and uh, taking a team. And they went out to sort of spy out the land, and they were sitting in a cafe, and Liz gasped because she saw the rescue boat she'd seen in her dream on a trailer being pull, pulled past. And uh, she freaked out and said, Dave, Dave, that's what I saw in my dream. And she said to Charlie and Abby, who, who run the work at the moment out there, uh, have you ever seen that? You probably see that all the time. It's in four years we've not seen uh, that. And so there's this incredible sense that the Lord is calling them. So I, I could go on, but we are radically committed, not just to being a nice little community here in Guildford, but to fulfilling this great commission. And for some, that is in the ends of the earth. But for all of us, it is in our Jerusalem. And that can mean different things. If you're here as a student, it's, it's the most wonderful mission field. Maybe you don't normally come to church. You're especially welcome. Uh, I, I could say it's not weird. It is a little bit weird. But actually, we're part of 2 billion people around the world who today get together, some in great palaces, some in very simple little tin huts. We all do the same stuff. We worship Jesus Christ because we believe he's alive from the dead. We get the Bible open, which is the world's best-selling book. We believe it's the word of God, the message of God to us. We learn from it, allow it to shape our lives, and we build friendships, love each other, and where we've messed up, we say sorry. That's what we do. That's what the church does all around the world. There's sort of people in robes with big pointy hats, and then other people who don't even know who the people in robes with big pointy hats are. There's all sorts of people, and that's the church, and we're just one expression of uh, that. And uh, I remember when I went to university, um, I was a Christian. Obviously, most, most of my fellow freshers weren't, and I remember... Um, I found a church really quickly. It's a good thing to do. You don't want to spend the whole term trying to find somewhere. And uh, uh, it was a great church. And I said, I said to um, uh, all the guys in my hall of residence, do you want to come to church Sunday morning? And um, most of them told me to uh, get lost. I and mean, they use much ruder words than that because they're not interested in religion. Uh, and then I, I played my blinder. I said, there's free food. And then suddenly some of them said, yeah, we'd like to come. It was like a revival. And... Uh, <laughs> And I remember my friend Dave Barrett, he came along, never been to church before in his life. It was a church very like this, and he, you know, he, he's like, okay, that's interesting. They have guitars and whatever. Uh, he quite liked it. And then his eyes, well, he caught sight of a stunningly beautiful girl who was part of the church. And the next week, let's just say he was really keen to come again. And uh, all good youth ministry is a mixture of hormones and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, <laughs> and I, still, I still remember the day after Dave had discovered that it's true and had given his life to Jesus. We sat 
in my little room in halls of residence, and Dave prayed his first ever proper sort of prayer out loud. He didn't have all the right words, but we were all just weeping as he talked to his creator for the first time. As our lives get changed. I was so moved speaking with some of the freshers this week. Um, Jess Ford, who's here somewhere, where are you, Jess? Ben and Jess there, who, who head up her student work. Jess shared, so powerful, about how she really became a, a Christian a year before she went to university, and she was determined to try and live for Jesus because she was worried that she might mess up, and she made this decision she wasn't going to drink in her first year. Uh, I mean, alcohol, obviously. If you don't drink water, you die. And... Um, <laughs> And it, was, it, it wasn't this, she had this big sort of anti-alcohol thing. She just said, I just don't want to mess up, and I just want to stay clear-headed. She prayed like mad that she would get to share accommodation with Christians. And she arrived, there were two other girls. One, there was this, the biggest bottle of vodka you've ever seen by her bed. And the other one had more condoms piled by her bed than the World Health Organization, you know. And, um, and she took this as a discouraging sign. And... And, and she said a lot of opportunities to talk to them about her faith in a normal and a loving and a kind and a slow way over that year. And it, they, those two still aren't Christians. They wouldn't call themselves disciples of Jesus. But uh, all these years later, they're still friends and just still hangs out with them. It's a journey. It's a process. And uh, so the Apostle Peter says to us, always be prepared to answer everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I love the tone of that. It's so different to the way that sometimes Christians behave. They sort of Bible bash other people, earnestly trying to force some decision. It's so gentle. Always be prepared to give an answer to, to, to those who are trying to understand the hope you have. So make sure that the hope you have is visible in a way that provokes questions, but then wait for the questions. And it says, but do it with gentleness and respect. It's so important we respect what other people think, or we have no right to expect them to respect what we think uh, too. And um, it's so powerful. Do you know, Jesus was asked 183 questions, counted in the Gospels, and he only answered three of them. Jesus was continually provoking questions by the way he behaved and lived. And he wasn't that big on preaching at people, but he loved provoking questions. Always be prepared. And so the gospel of Jesus changes lives. I'm so glad that, um, you know, a couple of guys who had become Christians in Chichester on the south coast who went off traveling around the world and a few weeks after becoming Christians, ended up on a kibbutz in Israel. And they met a girl called Nikki, who'd never really heard about Jesus. She was aware of church, been to church a few times, but never heard that, that, that you can have a real living relationship with Jesus. You can't be too sinful for God. You can't be too bad. You can only be too proud. All you have to do is admit you've messed up. Say sorry. Get forgiven and get a fresh start in relationship with the God who made you. And she thought, this is good news, this is what I need. And so she gave her life to the Lord. She came home, and she led her cousin, Andrea, to the Lord, who was deeply involved in the occult at the time, and, and then got completely set free. 
And then Andrea led her sister, my wife Sammy, to the Lord Jesus. And then Sammy and Andrea ganged up to lead their mum to Jesus. And then they led their dad to Jesus. And they, then they led their aunt and step-uncle sort of to Jesus. And then their uh, three sons came to know Jesus, which how Chris Kachani uh, here, and he, I know he's a grown man, but he was once a tiny little boy. He's very cute. Uh, uh, came to know Jesus. And, and so it's beautiful, isn't it, to see the gospel spreading not just through nations, but through families through relationships and networks. And um, it's just a joy to have Charlie Mackersy here. Char Charlie's my dear friend, and normally um, when we invite Charlie to speak, we have to book him months in advance and then phone him 35 times to make sure he hasn't forgotten. But he just happened to be staying at our house this weekend, so we basically sort of kidnapped him. And uh, Charlie is one of the people that I, I think is the best I've ever met. At, at receiving the love of God into your own messed up life and then sharing that love unconditionally with other people. He's brilliant at it. He's done Alpha I don't know how many times. Uh, he's a, a successful artist and, you know, it, it, there's lots of names he could drop, but he's really not interested in that. He is just someone who has encountered Jesus and is seeking to share that good news with others. So, Charlie, come and lead us forward and give us some tips on how we can be better at uh, talking about our faith. I don't really have any. <laughs> I really, uh, I genuinely don't have any. I, I, I think probably just um, be free to be who you are and stop trying to be someone else um, and love people and listen to them uh, and, and ask them to do Alpha. I, I, I'm quite obsessed with Alpha. I probably need a 12-step program to break me from the addiction. <laughs> um, uh, I think listening to Pete, I, I, I get quite scared. I don't know how you feel about the word disciple, but I really don't like it. It terrifies me. It reminds me of discipline, and it reminds me of religion and being accountable to people. And I am really struggle with that. Uh, and I think one of the great things about Alpha is... Um, why I love it is because I think, if I'm going to be honest, I kind of prefer it to church because you, there is no presumption of your faith or belief. There's no assumption of anything. You are utterly accepted as you are. Uh, you have the freedom to say exactly what you think. Uh, often when you go over the line as a church, you, you kind of can't say, you know, you, there's an expectation of something. So for me, with my friend, my, um, half my friends are atheists. I am, Pete's asked me to give you tips. I'm terrible with <laughs> my atheist friends. I mean, in terms of, I just love them. And uh, occasionally, when they need to talk, they'll talk. But generally speaking, I'm not a very good evangelist. But I think Alpha is great to invite them to because, you know, prophets never really very welcome in their own village. And they see all your <laughs> weaknesses, which is fine. But you can bring them into the context of other people and into a group. And the, the, the verse that Pete used with the, about the, the 11 disciples went to find Jesus. The number 11 I find really fascinating because um, it's not one person went, it's 11. So in a group of Alpha, you have 11 people shuffling in the vague direction of faith. Um, but within the context of that, I bet you the disciples talked about all kinds of stuff. You can guarantee they weren't like, oh, it's all amazing. They were like, what the heck's that? And how do we quantify that? And how do we correlate that? And how? I'm not going to use language like that, but they would have just struggled, I think. And I think church for me, and, and certainly Alpha, is a place to process friendship and struggle. In your processing of friendship, you become, by default, a disciple. You probably wouldn't use the word, but you just, it just kind of happens. 
as long as you're in a context of honesty, grace, faith, love, and journey. And you just go along with it. And, and the other thing I'd say about Alpha is if you do do it and you end up leading a group, which I think you should, I think everyone should, is I'm a terrible leader and I don't know the answer to most of the questions. But here's the thing about Christian leadership that I've come to, I've resolved. It, I, I just think it's this. Uh, I used to see Christian leaders as someone who stood on this side of the river and all the other people on the other side and they said, it's easy, you just go this way, this way, step on that side. And here I am, look, I'm here's, here's one we made earlier. Here is the finished. I don't think that's leadership. I don't. I used to, this is what I think leadership is. Oh, I'm with you, aren't I? Let's just sit down here and go, how the heck are we going to get to the other side? How are we going to do this? Because I'm not actually sure. But, and I'm struggling, and I'm weak too, but if we do it together, we'll arrive together, and we'll be a church together, and we'll love each other, and we'll share brokenness, and share weakness, share vulnerability, share hope, share Jesus, share everything, till you get to a place where you find yourself strangely discipled by accident. And going deeper with God, because guess what? You've had the courage to go deeper with your own weakness. Courage to go the deeper with everything. And you can invite people into that context with Alpha. And you're free to say, I, you know what? I, like last week, we started Alpha, and this one guy just said, okay, so here's the deal. I didn't ask to be born. So why is there a pressure on me to actually believe anything? Because the onus is on God. I am just, I, I didn't want to be here. I don't want to be here at all, really. And I didn't genuinely didn't what to say. I said, well, I, I think probably the answer is, as far as I can understand it, is that you're loved. That's it. I, 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 I can't get to any further than that. So all I'm saying is that you just, the, the, the questions, I, I had a therapist for two years who was a, um, a Franciscan monk. And if I look at that time, he was brilliant. So once a week, the, he, the brilliance of him was he never really told me anything. He just asked me brilliant questions. And the questions led me to evaluate everything gently and gently until I found myself in a new place. And I think that's the thing about Alpha. That's why actually 20-odd years ago, Nicky Gumbel was all neurotic, and he gave me a little script for a book called Why Jesus said, Charlie, can you do a drawing for the car? And I ended up doing it, and it ended up being the Alpha Man, but it's a question mark. And I think the reason why it's, the question mark is important is because we will continue to have questions. And I end up asking my Alpha group questions. We all just ask questions. We vaguely go towards Jesus and find ourselves in relationship with him and each other. And that's ultimately the church. And you don't, so all I would say is if you're thinking of doing Alpha, either helping or leading, just, just do it without any kind of pressure on yourself to be something, to have answers, to know the Bible inside out, to be a theologian. Just go there to love and be broken and be honest and say, I'm in this journey. I'm not sure where you are, but let's do it together. And it's difficult, but it's worth it. And you're free then, if you see what I'm saying. So I've done it, as Pete said, I think I've done it maybe over 100 times, and I, I am probably in trouble with it. Um, ma ma mainly because also the, the friendships that I've made through it have been lifelong. Um, and uh, it's that, for that reason alone, I think it's worth doing. Is that enough? Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. have one or two other people just come and tell us the difference that Jesus has made in your lives. Um, Nikki, do you want to go first? Um, I could sound for ages, but I've been told I've got about 45 seconds. So, um, I, When I was second year of uni, I um, started throwing up my food. I um, 
known as bulimia. Um, I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I just wanted to feel better about how I felt, so I thought that was a way. Um, that carried on for six, seven years. It was really hidden. No one knew I was doing it. Um, so it was kind of my sort of secret thing. Um, I wasn't a Christian, but I knew God existed, but I didn't want to live that life. I thought I couldn't have fun if he was in my life. So um, my parents were Christians. I knew they were praying for me. They used to send me Alpha Course flyers about three times a year. And um, I'd see the envelope come to the door in the writing and sometimes open it, sometimes not. Um, anyway, I decided to go on Alpha eventually and um, I got to the healing evening. And I decided driving down that I was going to ask for healing for um, my bulimia. And um, so we got to the time at the end of the, 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 the evening and went around the circle. He wants prayer for stuff and, you know, sore shoulders, sore knees, sore toes and stuff. And my heart was pounding like everyone could hear it. And I thought, gosh, this is too big. I can't ask for this kind of thing. Anyway, I, I shared first time I told anyone about it and um, said, would you pray for me? They prayed for me. Um, there was no big anything. They just prayed and I didn't feel any different. And... Um, I, I next day I woke up and um, I just suddenly realized, I think it's probably about two days later, I just suddenly realized I'd not felt like I needed to throw my food up or not had any, anything and um, that I'd been healed instantly on that evening. Um, so yeah, so that was amazing and we've got loads of other healing stories in our family, sort of that's some more emotional healing um, but physical healing too and Luke is a three-year-old, prayed for Bill for something and just said, Lord, make dad's foot better and doctors hadn't been able to sort it and it was healed instantly. So, um, yeah, so he's freed me hugely from that. And, um, you know, yeah, I don't know where I'd be now if that hadn't had the boldness maybe to ask for that prayer and just um, and gone for it. So, yeah. Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> Who should we have next? Reno, you're, you're always very confident. <laughs> You've got five seconds. You walk towards me to think what you're going to say. What difference has Jesus made in my life? That I'm not alone. So I d many of you know me, many of you don't, but I'm a, I'm a single parent, and I'm raising a gorgeous little boy, Henrik, um, by myself, but I'm not. Uh, I think the biggest difference that Jesus has made in my life is that... Um, I'm really nervous. <laughs> God, there's a the verse in the Bible where God um, puts the lonely in families, and so through Jesus, um, I have an incredible family, that is around me and supporting me to raise, raise Henrik. And um, through Jesus and, you know, what he's done for me and through his grace, I can stand up and, and say all this to you. A, a few of you know as well that I've, I've been sharing prophetic words recently. The fact that I can come up and have the confidence and um, know that it's nothing to do with what I've done, but it's everything to do with what he's done and share those with you, that's entirely him. That's entirely him and what he's done for me. So a huge difference. Awesome. Thank you, Renu. Well done. Um, Dave, Dave Campbell. Dave, you're... Dave's... Uh, uh, come on. He, he's a local lawyer, um, but is just one of the most amazing people I know at sharing his faith with everyone. And most people find it scary, but you don't seem to. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, for me, I was... Uh, a wild teenager, basically living my life for fun and uh, getting into all sorts of trouble. And, uh, uh, and I started to uh, pray 
And at the age of 17, God started to speak to me. I started to realize that he was real. I had a couple of dreams where uh, he sort of vividly spoke to me about the drug scene that I was getting into. And that, that wasn't real life. And he had real life for me. And, um, and uh, I ended up uh, meeting some Christians. I could see the love and the peace and joy of God in them. And, uh, and I wanted it for myself. Um, I had a dilemma because I didn't want to stop doing the stuff that I was enjoying doing. But came to a, a place where... I, I really said, okay, Jesus, I want you to be boss. I want you to be Lord of my life. And, uh, and at that time, I got, uh, had, had a wonderful experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and, um, and felt like this weight I didn't even know I was carrying just got lifted off of me. And, uh, and that was uh, 30 years ago. And uh, God's sense of humor, I ended up, uh, for 28 years, I've worked in criminal uh, law, uh, defending a lot of the uh, similar kind of boys as the, the one that I was running the streets and getting up to no good. And, uh, and there's wonderful opportunities that, I, that uh, God gives us to, uh, to share his goodness. But I just look at these guys. When I walk in the police cells down at Guildford, Nick, often I walk in, I clap eyes on a young lad, and uh, straight away I can tell he hasn't got a dad at home who loves him. And, uh, and I, I can just see myself, and I know by the grace of God, there go I. And, uh, and I know that, uh, you know, God... Uh, uh, as a plan for each and every one of you and if you'd be open to that and and uh, and start to look to him and start to ask the questions as Pete and Charlie have uh, encouraged you to do so he will sh reveal his love to you and uh, and show you the way forward thanks Dave okay don't worry I'm not going to pick on anyone else let's let's draw this together and then we're going to pray um, you may be thinking um, that's fine, but I'm not as excited about my faith as those guys. Or you may be thinking, I don't know what to say. I always get my words tangled up. People like Charlie are so eloquent. Or uh, you may be saying, I'm not sure if I am a Christian. Let me just draw this together by trying to convey to you the heart behind being a disciple and making disciples. We're gonna watch one short video clip and then I'm gonna tell you one story. And this video clip is just pulled off Facebook but it's my friends Carla and Steve Harding. Um, I phoned them and said, are you okay for me to show this? They said, we'd love it. And um, they're both musicians. They play in a session band, uh, sorry, a function band called the DeLoreans. It's in major demand. And uh, this is them with their son, uh, Jackson who's very little. So this is Steve and Carla singing. Someone tell me, what, why does that video tell us something about discipleship? Someone tell me. Like father, like son. I, I'm not sure Jackson's guitar or mic were plugged in. <laughs> but he doesn't know. Who here is relieved that sometimes God doesn't plug in our guitar <laughs> prematurely? I'm pretty sure I know that that little boy is going to grow up as a musician. 
because to him it's the most natural thing in the world. He has spent his life with his mum and his dad. Music's been everywhere. It's just what you do. Wasn't nervous at all, was he? As we spend time with the Father, Jesus says, come to me. The 11, come to me. And then he sends us out. Don't, don't try and go out until you've come to him. It is as you experience the good news that you can carry the good news. It's as you receive the love of the Father that you can love other people unconditionally. It's as you get forgiven, because you've sinned, we all have, that you can go and bring the forgiveness of God to others. It's as you hang around your mum and dad playing guitar and singing that you grow up playing guitar and singing. That's discipleship. I said we have one video, one story. Here's the story. I want to show you one more slide. It's a picture of uh, my dear friend. I was with him 10 days ago, Roger Nix. And he um, is a lovely guy who leads a boiler room community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he's there hugging his son, Anthony, who's now a teenager. But they, um, Anthony came into their life when he was about two weeks old as a baby. Anthony's mum was... Um, a drug user who was taking drugs throughout the pregnancy. And to this day, Anthony struggles with all sorts of things in life because of um, the, the drugs and alcohol that came into his system when he was in the womb. And she didn't really want him. And so she said they could have him. And that was fine. And they took him. But then they found out that she had to sign an official document to enable them to adopt him. And she, by this stage, was on a bender and had disappeared to Oklahoma City. They knew she was in Oklahoma City, but no one knew where she was. And without this bit of paper, Anthony could never become part of Roger and Donna Nix's family. And no one knew where she was. And so one day, Roger got fed up with all the bureaucratic systems, all the ways that you try through the police and others to trace someone. He was aware that it was possible that Anthony's mother might even overdose and die any day, and then it would be too late. And he just made up a leaflet with a photograph of Anthony's mother. And he said to his wife the most ridiculous thing, I'm going to Oklahoma City to find the mother of the boy who is meant to be our son. And I'm going to just listen to God. And I'll say to God, if you tell me to go left, I'll go left. If I go straight on, I'll go straight on. If I go right, I, I'll do whatever you tell me. Now, you've got to understand Oklahoma City is the 27th largest city in America. It covers an area of 620 square miles. It's enormous. So Roger drives into town with some bits of paper and nothing but God. And when he sensed the spirit saying, turn left, he turned left. When he thought it was straight on, straight on. And eventually he stopped outside a little mission church in a really seedy area of the town. And he went inside and found that they were feeding the homeless. So he went to the woman who was handing out food and showed her the picture, said, do you know this woman? And the woman said, no, but try asking the pastor. He took the picture to the pastor. The pastor said, I know this woman. I drive her to different appointments several times every single week. Let me take you to her. And she uh, welcomed Roger, signed a bit of paper. And so that little boy has grown up almost his entire life as a full member of their family. It took minutes to find her in a city of 620,000 people. That is because God's heart is to put orphans in families. God's heart is to take those who are broken 
and heal them up. God's heart is, we read in the scripture, the Father's heart is that none should perish. His heart is to break generational cycles of addiction. We read that Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And so when you hang out with a God like this, whose love is for those who are lost, whose love is for those who are broken, you start to love those who are lost and broken and say, I'm willing to share my faith, even if it costs me a bit of credibility. I'm willing to be different, even though everything in me longs to hide and belong. I'm willing to share the good news of Jesus. You start to play in his band. You start to not just be his disciple, but to make disciples of others. Let's get the band back, and let's, I'd just love us to finish with a moment of prayer. Uh, so, I wonder what the challenge is for you today. For some of you, it may be that you just aren't sure if you're a Christian, and I'm sure you've picked up the message. We would love you just to think about coming on Alpha, you'll sit around in a small group, you'll hear a talk that's not entirely boring about something that really matters in life from a Christian perspective, and you'll get to talk about it. And a lot of people do Alpha, and, you know, they don't become Christians and then at the end, but they might move from being an atheist to being an agnostic, from thinking, I don't believe any of this stuff, to saying, well, you don't have to completely kiss your brains goodbye to believe this stuff, and there might be a God. That's fine. Many people do find a relationship with Jesus through Alpha. We heard Nikki's extraordinary story of being healed from bulimia. Why wouldn't you give your life to Jesus when something like that happens? It might be that you would say you are a Christian, but if you're honest, you've lost the joy of the gospel. You're not sharing your faith very much because you're not excited about it anymore. And he's just saying, come on. We won't plug your guitar in just yet. I'm going to play like mad, and why don't you just join in for a bit? Or it might be that you're cool with all this stuff, but the Lord is just calling you afresh to stand up for your faith. He's speaking in the word go over you. It might be that some of you, he's calling you to go geographically. It's time for a career shift. He's calling you to take his good news somewhere else. But for all of us, he's calling us to go to maybe a particular person in a particular place. To provoke the questions with gentleness and respect to which Jesus is the answer. I wonder what the next small step might be for you. Let's just take a moment. And it might be that God puts a particular person on your heart and you think, I, I'm just going to try and invite them next Sunday to come here. Hear Paul Cowley's incredible story. I don't know if they'll come, but at least success will look like sitting here next week thinking, at least I asked. It might be some of you business guys saying guys here because I just sense it's a word for a man here and you're very good at your job and you're very very credible but the Lord's calling you to just stick your neck out a little bit this week and just <laughs> say I don't know if you know I'm a Christian have you ever thought about this thing Alpha take a postcard at the end to give to someone just 
sense the Lord saying, someone here, actually, literally, your assistant has been asking questions about faith and you don't know. But the Lord is assigning you <laughs> to tell her. <laughs> I suggest you don't do it with your dictaphone. Let's just take a moment and allow this Jesus, this rabbi, with all his love to gently challenge us. And so Jesus, we ask that you would draw us deeper into your love, that you would make us heralds of your good news. For those who are a bit flat, would you get them excited <laughs> about the good news of the gospel? For those who are not sure if they're Christians, help them, Lord, not to jump to the top of the staircase, but just to take, take the next little step. And Lord, help us all this week to be unashamed of the gospel carriers of your good news.